Welcome to Fast Growth Stories, the straight-talking guide for entrepreneurs who want to grow quickly and secure funding. Brought to you by EHE, where entrepreneurs help entrepreneurs. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fast Growth Stories. I've got the elusive Elliot Smith back with me today. Hi, Elliot. How are you? Hi, Nairi. You have been a bit elusive, I think, haven't you? No, I can't remember the last one that I came on. Mustn't have had any, anything important for me to talk about. Oh well, we've got we've got a cracker today, haven't we? So so it's all right. And then we'll and then you're on. probably free until probably the end of the summer. I bet it will be before I can convince you to come back on. Um, but I'm going to let you off. Time. Yeah, I'm going to let you off because you've got a really good guest for us today. Somebody that that you've been working with. So I think best thing to do is if I hand over to you and you can tell us a little bit about who we're going to be talking to today. Yeah, no problem. I'll make a brief intro and then I'll bring our guest in today, Anthony Hunt. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Elliot. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. Good. I've invited Anthony onto the podcast today, and I've known Anthony for probably about 14, 15 years now, back to the very early days when Anthony bought a business called Ivy League UK. And when he bought the business, he knew that he needed a good numbers man to work alongside him. So through a mutual contact, we got introduced. And since then, Anthony's took the business on a kind of fantastic journey. And one of the things we always kind of talk about on our podcast is about the badges and scars of entrepreneurship. And I think it's probably fair to say, Anthony, that there's been good and bad times during that. Probably more good than bad, but there's certainly been uh, things that you've faced through that journey and challenges that you've faced and successes and failures and things have worked and things haven't worked. And I thought it'd be really good to invite you onto the podcast today to kind of talk about your story. That's very kind of you, Elliot, and thanks for all your support for the past 15 years as well. As you say, we've had some ups and downs and thankfully more ups than downs. But yeah, it, it has been a real roller coaster at times. Very exciting. Obviously, I feel as though I am personally in a, in a, in a great position at the moment, certainly having my own business. But do you want me to give you a bit of background on, on where I started? Yeah, I think that'd be good, yeah. maybe, Anthony, just a bit maybe about Ivy League and what Ivy League actually does, and then maybe a bit of a potted potted career history. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I was sort of born into the clothing industry. My father had a, a manufacturing company in the UK, which after going to college, I joined. That was in sort of like the, the late 70s. And at, just at that time, Barbara Thatcher had come into power. And what we started to realise was that she really did push free trade. And during that sort of early part of the 80s, quite a number of the textile companies in the UK actually didn't survive because it was, it, the, the market started to get flooded with imports from the Far East. And needless to say that our family business didn't escape that. And in the, uh, the early part of the 80s, after joining the family business in terms of looking after the sales and and product development, I found it the need to actually, you know, get a job. And I was very fortunate that a company called Wrangler Jeans, who you might remember, they actually offered me two different positions. One position was in product development. The other one was in sales. And I actually thought that my sort of skill set would be better off in sales. I didn't want to be sort of stuck in an office, you know, every day. Anyway, had that position there for five years, moved on in terms of a promotion I was the, their UK national account manager. During that time, I was approached by Farrah Trousers. They wanted a, a national account manager for the UK. So I uh, jumped ship. And after two years being with Farrah, I actually became their sales director. So I'd sort of gone into the corporate life 
from being in a family business. Completely different, doing sort of lots of courses. I went to a business school called Ashridge, where we learned about sort of, you know, how to plan things, all about some budgets, et cetera, et cetera. Very corporate. I wouldn't say that I didn't enjoy it, but I'd, it didn't feel as though this was going to be me for the rest of my career. I got sort of involved in sort of the hype of it all, realizing that the salary was was obviously very good. I was mortgage married with kids and you sort of get the, you know, the golden handcuffs. So you don't think about sort of starting your own business at that particular point. I then went on to work for a couple of other companies, a role in a sales and marketing director for a large importer, and then on to becoming an MD, formal wear sort of business who supplied retail. And it was sort of several years after joining this particular business that I thought, actually, the kids have gone to university, the mortgage is virtually paid off. You know, now is the time that, you know, I should start my own thing. Just around about that time, an ex-colleague of mine who actually started Ivy mentioned that he would be retiring. He was looking to sell the business. So we had a catch-up. I popped in to see him at his offices, told me all about Ivy League. It really appealed to me because the business model itself was very flexible. In times of difficulty, there wasn't a huge amount of staff. You could obviously contract, but when things got busier, you could flex the business up to, you know, working with a lot of freelance people, designers, QC, people in the Far East. We agreed heads of terms. And that was in 2008. Needless to say, I bought into the business and it was a case of over 18 months that, uh, before I actually took control. And if you remember, we had the Lehman Brothers situation. So we went into a financial crisis. That was very difficult in terms of when I actually came to raise finance. And it was just at this point, I think, Elliot, when we sort of met, wasn't it? Yeah. That the bank offered me the loan, but I had to uh, put up the house as, as collateral. So they obviously took a charge on the property. And that obviously really did focus me in terms of, you know, how I was going to take the business forward and, you know, what was at stake. What we also found at that particular point was that the whole market was changing. We had a lot of corporate wear customers who would supply sort of corporate wear to the supermarkets, the airlines, all that sort of thing. And their businesses started to decline. Retail was also having a, a tough time as well. And we, we then started to look at what product areas was, was doing okay, you know, which retailers were, were doing quite well and then targeting those sort of people. Needless to say, took the loan. I found that, you know, obviously a lot of hard work, a bit of luck. I managed to pay the loan off a year earlier than was expected, which was, you know, I've got to say a big sigh of relief and really sort of, you know, I suppose, cemented the future of the business because we didn't have any debt at that particular time. Well, thank you. That was a really interesting kind of potted history. And I think the bit that makes everyone take notice is the kind of collateral around the house and the the kind of fine line between home life and business life as well. When you're an entrepreneur, there really is kind of blurred lines, isn't there? Yeah, and I think that a lot of people forget about that. They think that, that, you know, when they start a business up, obviously, you know, you've got to get the right amount of finance. Um, as a business, as a as sort of a clothing importer, you know, we were dealing with container loads of merchandise. So 
you know, it was quite a considerable amount of finance that we had to secure. So if it went wrong, you know, we were talking an awful lot of money, which certainly put the house at risk. Hopefully, with for most entrepreneurs that, uh, you know, they can sort of maybe get, you know, sort of smaller loans or, you know, they've got family who can help or whatever. But, you know, it really does make you focus when you've got your house on the line. You've literally got that's on the line, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah, no, that's really interesting. Thank you. And just going kind of forward to sort of present day and, and last few years, and we'll probably will talk about Ivy League in, in more detail. I think one of the things that's quite interesting from, for me is obviously your background had been in sort of different roles. So it feels like you probably had good experience kind of sales, marketing, commercial, et cetera, before kind of moving into that. MD role. I just wondered what your approach was in terms of building your team and and kind of any sort of fundamental principles that you adopted when trying to scale out that team at different stages. We obviously have a key sort of how can I put it the the mindset of the individual who we 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 want to employ and who we try to mold in in the role as well. They've got to be numerate. That's very important. They also have to have an incredible attention to detail and. The reason for that is that there's so many areas when you're constructing a garment and you have, you know, from the labeling, from the fabrics to the care labels, right the way through to the design detail, that you've got to make sure that everything is 100% correct. If you make any mistake, it could put that particular order in jeopardy. And there could be, you know, tens of thousands of pieces that could cost the company a huge amount of money. The other thing as well is that what we also find as well is that we want somebody who's very conscientious, who is, you know, sort of mindful of the customer as much as anything, and who who is going to be reasonable when negotiating with the factories to obviously have a bit of empathy there as well. And, you know, fortunately, the team that we have built, they sort of adhere to these sort of traits as well. And we find that a lot of our customers, you know, they do actually say that the compliment is on the service that we give to them. So, you know, obviously that sort of mantra is paying off. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And in terms of, I think one of the things Elliot had mentioned is looking kind of wider than that. You've successfully used quite a lot of outsourcing to help you grow and scale your business. Is that right? Yeah. So with regards to, so if we look at the UK, we have third party warehousing that we, we use. So we're not sort of fixed with our own warehouse with warehousing staff. Most of the goods that we do actually bring into the UK are delivered direct to the retailers or the online retailers in containers. So it's not as sort of, we're not as reliant, should I say, on warehousing in the Far East and Southeast Asia. We have partnered up with different companies who help us with our sort of quality control tasks with the merchandising roles in those countries. And, you know, over the last sort of 15 years, we've built very, very good relations with large factories as well. And we can scale up and down. So obviously, if we get a quiet period, then, you know, we're not using as many factories. When we get a busier period, then we obviously expand the production in you know in, across the board in different factories i think that's quite a key point anthony and one thing we've discussed quite a lot over the years and probably one of the reasons why you've been quite successful during periods of economic downturns really is that lean lean operating model that we've got which you kind of mentioned there has allowed us to kind of scale up and, and scale down which was particularly helpful during the recent pandemic 
obviously having that kind of lean operating model at that point in time when I think you businesses turnover probably dropped by about 80 percent it did during yeah. that period but we were able to weather the storm throughout that and obviously we've come back quite strongly in the last 12 18 months it might be worth kind of touching touching on that period yeah i think that you know if you look at any any entrepreneur or business person you know they want total control of of the operation when i say that obviously you're working with teams of people but you're trying to drive the business forward with regards to the pandemic, that has to be the lowest point in, in certainly in my career. No matter what we did, we couldn't change anything. You know, it was down to what the government was deciding. Obviously, with lockdown, there was no market there in terms of retail. We had a few online retailers who were doing a bit of products, but we also manufacture offshore. So. The other markets were in lockdown. So the whole thing came to a grinding halt. You know, it was very, very frustrating. Whereas with the financial crisis, 2008 through 2011, we could adapt. We could, you know, we could look at uh, certain target markets. You know, you were still able to trade. Whereas during that period of the pandemic, well, you just, you know, whatever you did just didn't make any impact at all. I think regardless of which business you worked in, everyone was affected by the pandemic, but there were definitely some businesses and industries that were more affected and took longer to recover. Travel being another one, wasn't it? That you know, anything that that involved traveling, whether that's products yeah. or people, was probably hit the hardest and, and took the, the longest to recover. And that was one of the things I was going to ask you next, really, just kind of reviewing that that journey, sort of some of the highs and lows of which we know with entrepreneurs, there's the highs are very high and the lows are very low, aren't they? But I would imagine there probably wasn't much lower than than the COVID times for, for you and your business. Was, was there anything else that stands out from a, a positive and a negative? Yeah, I think, as I mentioned about the, you know, the financing of the business, although, you know, at the time, we obviously had a lot at stake. Possibly one of my highs was paying off that loan and actually receiving a letter from the bank to say that they'd obviously released this security of the the, the house. Um, and also just realizing that we were in a, a much better financial situation because of, you know, what we, we obviously achieved with that. The future looked really, really good. Um, I have to say, you know, from sort of 2000 and sort of 13, 14, we did see some really good growth and building the brands. And obviously, the other factor was that we started developing new products as well. One of the main areas where we, we did start to develop product was aimed at the travel market, which, you know, people traveling for business, for, for leisure, whatever. And we actually came up with a new trouser, which we were about to learn. And that was at the end of 2019, early 2020. And this particular trouser, the fabric sort of came from the sportswear industry. Because what we're seeing is in terms of trends now going through, certainly the more sort of smarter, formal type clothing is this sort of, I guess, comfort stroke performance fabrics, whereas the likes of the trousers do a four-way stretch. So, you know, very comfortable. We added certain pockets to it where you could place your passport, where you could place your credit cards. We had a, a sort of a, an elasticated type waistband so you didn't have to wear a belt when you're going through the security in the airport. So, 
you know, things like that were starting to become very sort of relevant. And then all of a sudden, you know, people weren't traveling. And it's, it's, you know, what we're seeing now is that people are getting back on airplanes. People are traveling for business, for leisure. So that product that we developed then is starting to gain momentum. And we're also seeing that with shirts where we're doing sort of like a nice jersey four-way stretch, again, which are breathable, perfect for sort of smart, casual, you know, if you're going in for a business meeting, I guess if you're, you're, you know, you're sort of commuting to work, it's nice and comfortable and lightweight. So we're seeing all of these things coming through, which we were working on before the pandemic. Yeah. I think what that shows, Anthony, is you've been agile and you've, you've moved with the market. You know, you yeah. saw them opportunities and that was one thing that, that did shine through during the pandemic. Whilst it was a hard time, I think the discussions we always had around that time was let's, you know, see the positives that will come out of it in the long run. And I think we did a lot of planning during that period, knowing that when we did come out of things that we would be a business well positioned and placed, you know, with a good financial footing as well to actually grow again very quickly back to where we were before. And I think that's certainly become true over the last 12 months. Yeah, definitely. I've got to say, Elliot, obviously it was good to get your your sort of input during that period. It was good to, to sort of sound you out on certain ideas that we had. You know, we, di- we didn't sort of stand still, as you know. We, we changed some of the product that we manufactured. We moved into loungewear and that type of thing. We obviously got involved with face masks. And, you know, that certainly kept us reasonably busy, but it's not where we sort of tend to specialise. And we found that the returns on that were, were very limited. And obviously there are other people who who can do it possibly better than we can as well. Whereas, you know, when the whole thing sort of opened up again, we were back to doing what we do better, which is that sort of casual, smart, casual sort of look. One thing I was going to ask you, Anthony, is obviously over the last few years, particularly in apparel and and clothing and importing, there has been a lot of publicity around kind of fast, the role of fast fashion and that kind of throwaway clothing. I just wondered whether that, how as a business you had responded to that, whether that had affected your kind of end customers and and buying habits at all. Yeah, it, it has impacted on us. We do not, we don't supply the fast sort of fashion end yeah. of the market. We decided from when I took the business over, it, it actually used to supply the value end of the market. I just decided that it was getting too tough. The margins were very low. We were manufacturing huge quantities for very, very small margins. And we also noticed that these huge value players were going direct to to the retailers. We decided to trade up. What it has done is that the fast fashion has actually brought prices down. So it's been tough in terms of, you know, if we consider that we're at sort of the middle market, it's been quite tough in terms of maybe a lot of people have decided to go for cheaper products. I think they go for the cheaper products, but after a while they realise they're not sustainable. And therefore, you know, they might go back to a number of the brands who we make for even our, our own brands, which has a quality edge to it. So I guess that from our point of view, we are seeing a resurgence more back to the quality end of the market where you're not having to buy as many products. It'll last you a bit longer. 
Mm. And that certainly is working to our advantage. Okay, bro. Again, Elliot, I suppose it's one of the things we talk to founders about, isn't it, around not entering in that kind of price race to the bottom and knowing kind of where you sit in the in the overall market and kind of taking a strategic approach rather than kind of panicking and, and trying to compete where it's not sustainable for you. So I just thought it was it was worth asking because we do know it's it has been a trend, hasn't it? And then finally, I just was wanting to ask you, obviously you have had a, a really kind of long and successful career with that the highs and the lows. What sort of advice would you give to entrepreneurs now that are perhaps starting out on their entrepreneurial journey? If you really believe in what you're going to do, what is for me was a big, big factor was that you need good financial support. We made it a priority for for our accountant for Elliot. Actually, he used to come in on a regular basis and he used to give us a, a quarterly P and L. So we knew where we were sort of going with the business. We knew relatively early: are we making profits? You know, is this type of product working for us? And that that really was important. And another priority as well is that wherever you can, try to retain a reasonable amount of the company profits. Put it back into the business. You know, if you can forego the flash cars, all that type of thing, make the business solid, you know, give it a good financial footing before you start sort of buying any luxury items, whatever. And it really will stand you in good stead because we had no idea that there was a pandemic around the corner or another financial crisis or whatever. You know, you need that sort of extra, you know, bit of wool on your back to overcome these downturns. And I think that is, you know, very important. Well, thank you. So that's really good advice. Thank you, Anthony. I think maybe one of the things that COVID has taught us is that we we literally never know what's around the corner, do we? So definitely worth kind of taking that on board. Elliot, anything else you wanted to cover? Obviously, you've been involved in Anthony's journey for a really long time. You've probably seen some other sort of highs, lows, anything worth talking about today? I think a couple of things, really. I think, first of all, I think Anthony's been quite quite modest with his journey and what he's, you know, what he's achieved over the 13, 14 years that he's owned Ivy League. And, you know, one thing I'd like to point out is that Anthony's been on that 10 times journey during that period, you know, 10 times multiples that he's done since, you know, in terms of revenue and profit since he bought the business. And one area that's been really important to that is is Anthony's team. And I hope Anthony doesn't kick me next time he, he sees me when I say that he can be known as quite a hard taskmaster. Whilst I would kind of say that he's very, he's very fair, but and puts a lot of trust in his team. And that's one thing I'd like to just touch on at the end, Anthony, is the importance of your team. And in fact, that you know, your most important team member actually became an investor in the business and has helped you take it forward to where it is today. Yeah, that's that's so true, Elliot. So when obviously I invested initially in, in Ivy League in 2008, one of the, uh, the sort of senior people in the business was obviously, well, I, I, I realised at the time was a key member of the staff. One thing that I didn't mention was that the company was based on the South Coast and my intention was to relocate it which we did up to Cheshire. And I asked my colleague if she would relocate within, you know, sort of relocating. I also suggested that would she like to take a, a, a sort of a minority share in the business? Because I could see that she had so much potential and that she should, I guess, share in any success as well. What it also did was it made my colleague very sort of focused in the way that she developed the business and 
that she has certainly grown, you know, as a person during that time. And it might be that, you know, when the time comes for, for me to sort of sell my shares, that maybe the, the team who are running the, the business with me at the moment might decide to, you know, step up and, uh, you know, take it on for the next 15, 20 years. But it, it is important, I feel, that if you get somebody who is, you know, a key member, is to potentially give them the option for, you know, obviously a share of the business. Well, thank you. Really interesting. Anything else, Ellie, you wanted to cover off today? Obviously, we know Anthony's not been modest enough in terms of his his success. So thank you for bringing that to bring that up. And people won't be able to see the video, but there were definitely some daggers <laughs> being aimed at <laughs> Elliot while you were while you were saying that. So I presume you're not meant to meet face to face for a good few days yet. I don't know. I do. I do see Anthony quite regularly, actually. Which I suppose is the final thing, really. It's all about that teamwork and and and, and partnerships, really. I think that's been the most important thing about that kind of successful that successful journey that we that we've been on. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that definitely, Elliot. And uh, you know, I mean, you hear the conversations with our partners, you know, you know, in terms of in China and also in Southeast Asia and. You know, you can see that we're all working as a as a team together. And interestingly, one thing that we didn't mention is that our business actually supplies markets in America, Canada, Australia, the Middle East, obviously Europe, where we're we're shipping goods on an FOB basis to these countries. So in a way, we are exporting for the UK. And a lot of these people who we sort of supply. A number of them have been in, introduced to us by our partners in these countries because, you know, they feel very comfortable with the relationship that we have. They trust us. They know that we can develop product for these customers. They wouldn't recommend us any other way, you know, apart from the fact that we're, we're going to give good service. So, you know, it is quite exciting that we do have customers, you know, on a global basis as well. Yeah, thank you. And I think going back to that point around the team, you know, having that sort of longevity with your team, but also having a flexible approach to building a team, certainly, you know, using freelancers, consultants, offshoring, et cetera, you've still got a stronger core team as those that build with with employees. So really successful story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today. We haven't really heard anybody with that kind of background and some of those challenges. So it's a, it's a new one for, for us to be able to share with the community. So I'm sure everybody else will enjoy listening to it as much as, as I have. And thank you, Elliot, for convincing Anthony to come on the podcast. Thanks, Nairi. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you very much. Everybody else who's listening, please don't forget to tune in next week. We will have another episode for you and we would love to hear your feedback, anything that you want to share on on social media. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button for more fast growth stories. Thank you for listening to Fast Growth Stories. Please remember to subscribe and review and visit the ehe.team website for the latest on fast growth and funding.